The nail in the coffin! Well, the NBA Finals are over. The Cavs fought like hell, but ultimately the Warriors prevailed in five games. Uh, Trav, we are a couple nights removed here as we get rolling on episode number 77 of The Nail. You know, you and I did not talk a whole lot during the game on Monday night and uh, have not really chatted too much since then. How are you doing? Um, well, I didn't talk to much of anybody during the game. I shut my phone off at halftime. Um... I'm I'm okay now, I guess. I I had I had some very complex, we'll call it complex feelings in the immediate aftermath and and early on in the day yesterday. But um I guess I'm I'm I mean after they were down and folks that listened to us last week as defeated as we were. Um I don't know about you, but had a very strong inclination. Obviously we both predicted they were going to lose game 4. The fact that they fought like hell in games four and five, it, it kind of it redeemed them quite a bit to me. The win on Friday night in game four. Huge. That was, you're exactly right. That, I, I felt so much better just getting one off of them. Um, and the way that we did it, uh, that I mean, that was an all-time historic offensive performance by the Cavs. And it would have been easy as hell. And if we're being honest, somewhat understandable if they came out flat and pretty much already defeated for game four. Exactly. Not making, not saying that it's okay, but I would have, it wouldn't have surprised me. And if we're being honest, I wouldn't have blamed them that much for it. It was nice to see them come out and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to show them at least once this series, what we're capable of. Yeah. And that was, that was awesome. And you know, I mean, they, they came up short on Monday night in game five, but I mean, again, it was not for a lack of effort and seeing them fight that hard in that game there. I mean, that was less surprising to me just because it's like, if you're going to push this thing to five, you know, and you're going to fly five hours to the West coast. I mean, Get your money's worth. Now, you know, and, right. and, you know, Hey, hats off to the Cavs for giving us two more days of, uh, uh, hope <laughs> in what should have been a ridiculously uh, impossible circumstance. I I went into Monday night saying, I have no idea where this series is going. It, 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 all logic would tell me that trying to do that three more times is impossible, but we've got LeBron James and uh, we've proven that we could come back from 3-1 before and, and we play our best with our backs against the wall and everything else you've heard about the Cavs over the last few years. So it's uh, the audacity of hope, I guess, was fun <laughs> to carry for an extra few days. Yeah, well, going into game five, I said they're either going to um, they're either gonna lose tonight and the series is going to be over, or they're going to win the whole damn thing. Um, I was proven right, not the way I wanted to be, but um, yeah, they didn't, they didn't fold. They didn't give up like a lot of teams would have, so... I'm I'm happy. I happy as I can be. I guess um, they made it. Even if it, they lost in five, I still think they uh, they made it respectable there the last few games. They did. Um, it's weird how things work out. That I I tweeted very little. 
during the game, and I, I was off Twitter for the most part, but um, there, there were two moments that I, I did tweet. Uh, the one was when LeBron had the enormous dunk, I think, in the first half over Durant, and uh, I said, pass this torch, as in, like, uh, you know, LeBron's not really ready to hand it over yet. Um, but the other one, and the moment is that, is that, that I... That, is that the, uh, the dunk where uh, somehow... LeBron managed to get smacked in the face and not get a foul called. Yes, that's the one. The same. That is the one. All right, we'll um, touch on that in a minute. We will continue. We'll but no, the, the it was what I was going to say is it's so strange how things work out sometimes because there was a moment in the game in the fourth quarter, about five minutes left, and the Cavs were down ten, so they're hanging by a thread. They could not afford to go down anymore, and they were not entirely out of it, but they had absolutely no margin left for error. And at the same end of the court, in the same arena, at the same spot on the floor as the end of Game 7 last year when Kevin Love locked up Steph Curry with the game on the line, um those two guys found themselves out on an island again. It was right on the same spot on the wing. And Love locked him up again, only this time, instead of Curry forcing up a shot, he just kicked it over to his left to Durant at the top of the key, and Durant blew by Kyle Korver like he was standing still and went in for an easy layup. Warriors went up by 12, and for all intents and purposes, that was the dagger. And it just, I said, that right there, that sequence was the series and this rivalry's evolution over the past 12 months in a nutshell. That you you end up with the guys in the exact same spot that they were last year and Kevin Durant blown by Kyle Korver. And... That that was the difference, and uh, that was the difference from where these teams were last year to where they were in June of 2017. I agree with you completely. I don't have a ton to add to it. Admittedly, there was a couple different points in the fourth quarter where um, it just seemed like, and again, we said this last time we were on here, it seemed like we were working a lot harder than they were still. Um, but by and large you can look at a couple plays that could have been huge. Like the one, uh, the one that's kind of sticks out to me the most where I was just like, it's just not going to happen was the, uh, Darren Williams three that rattled in and out. That would have, oh, that was agonizing to two. And they were up, they were down five at the time. And you're just like, all right, they just need a bucket. And he gets a clean look at it. Takes a pretty good shot. All but falls. And, at that point, you're just like, hey, if we if they don't get those to fall, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for them to chip away at it. And yeah, that was one of those ones that just like, oh, son of a bitch, because they're clawing this whole time, and that just would have been huge, and it just didn't fall. Obviously, obviously, the rest, who knows what happens at that point, but that's probably the most memorable to me from that fourth quarter, as far as uh, as far as things that were really damn close, but not quite what we needed. Yeah. All right. Get, get it out of your system. Get, tell me about the, the Durant uh, no call, because I know it's been eating you alive. Fucking infuriating. The, like, And I'm just sitting there steaming in my, like I'm sitting in my living room watching the game, 
And all I can think is how how in the hell do they review of the basically the same play against Kevin Love and charge him a flagrant and completely miss it when Durant does it? Um, and we haven't talked about Game Four either, which I'm still trying to understand how Zaza Pachulia punched a guy in the dick and didn't get <laughs> a foul for it. Draymond elbowed Shumpert in the head and they didn't go back and review it, and it was far more egregious than anything Love did. Um, of all the plays that were in that game, Kevin Love's the only one that got called for a flagrant foul, which is just complete incompetence, in my, in my opinion. Um, they completely lost control of the game. and I, I'm go- I know I'm going back to game four, but they completely lost control of the game. And it's hysterical because Twitter, at least Golden State Twitter, seemed to be of the mindset that the NBA was somehow rigging the game for the Cavs as if a, the refs were making 24 threes for the Cavs B they thought that by giving golden state more free throws, it would hurt golden state. I don't know. And by letting their guys just take cheap shot after cheap shot with zero punishment. Um, and then it rolled over a little into game five. Um, the Durant foul obviously was significant. Um, the the face off thing with uh Pachulia and Tristan again somehow Pachulia um takes a cheap shot at Kyrie then faces off with Tristan and Golden State ends up getting a free throw for it I don't know <laughs> anyone explain it to me um the officiating the last two games I'm, I don't think the officiating in the game itself was horrible. Um, but when it came to like significant plays, meaning flagrants and technicals and things along those lines, it seemed like they fucked it up at every, every turn, um, and didn't really provide any explanation. Like Draymond's suspension last year, the flagrant he caught nowhere near as bad as Zaza's was on Amon. Um, and so I, I was just left a little baffled, and I'm not going to blame the refs for losing the series because that's just bizarre. No, but it is I one mean, of those. And I will I say, say, once that Durant foul didn't get called, I'm like, great, he should be on the bench. They're going to go on a big run here. And what happened? Twenty-one to two run. That was exactly the point that 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 whole game on Monday turned. Uh, just getting back to what you had said about uh, Game Four with the referees. The referees, you're, you're not wrong in anything that you just said, but I'm glad you added the disclaimer at the end because I mean it it sucks to say but when you lose a series in five games uh, you know um, bad calls here and there are, are they can swing the difference in a seven game series but five games is fairly decisive and um yeah it it, it sucks but uh that that game four I said that was the Undertaker versus Mankind Hell in the Cell of NBA games. It was just chaotic from start to finish. It was unprecedented. I've never seen a basketball game like that. I mean, the Cavs nearly hung 50 on them in the first quarter. And never, I mean. And they missed like, I want to say they missed like five or six free throws. Exactly. Like they and didn't, they shot the ball well, but they had, they could have scored way more. They did. And, and, you know, I, I joked with the guys that I was sitting with 
And I it, like halfway through the first quarter, I'm like, oh, we're on pace for the old 60 point first quarter. And I'll be damned if we didn't like hold that pace for almost the whole 12 minutes. I mean, you know, it slowed it, down a little bit the last couple minutes, but yeah, they were right on it. That was insane. You had the, the ridiculous, you know, guys like scrapping at every whistle. I mean, you had the obvious stuff that you had just discussed about what was called and what was it. Uh, you had LeBron and Kevin Durant going nose to nose, John at each other. Um, the garbage I, 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 technical on Dante Jones when Kevin Durant comes over and starts jawing at the Cavs bench. Yeah, Dante, somebody had uh, did some lip reading, and there there were uh, uh, a whole lot of salty words said from Dante Jones. I, I'll say this. He got teed up, and it was ridiculous that Durant was the one that initiated that and why he's walking over to bait Dante Jones into something I'll never understand. But if Dante got teed up, he he got his money's worth on it, and I'll leave it at that. But um, that whole game was just absolute chaos, and I actually kind of thought it was the one thing that was a little strange and worked out in the Cavs' favor was there were like two or three times in the second half that the Cavs had, that they had to like delay the game and go over to the scorers' table and just like sort out what the hell was going on, and I actually kind of felt like it gave the Cavs a chance to breathe. And and they were like free timeouts. And, you know, the one thing I had said last week, and one of the reasons I felt like game four was going to be so hard beyond just like the whole mental uh, side of it being down 3-0 was, I mean, the Cavs had looked really gassed down the stretch in the games before that. And this was going to be the only one in the series that only had one day of rest in between from the previous game. And you remember the Cavs kind of flamed out down the stretch of game four last year on the same schedule. And this actually, all that chaos actually kind of bought him some time. So um, don't know if that was the difference, but uh, it didn't hurt. Yeah, for sure. All the all the replays and um, most I I thought most of the calls were were wrong and sort of punishing towards the Cavs. They did not the cap the calls themselves didn't help the Cavs, but the long delay to go back and keep rewatching stuff certainly did. So I. I I mentioned that to someone. I said, you know, the calls are bad and they're kind of screwing the Cavs with the calls, but overall, this some of this process seems to be helping them. Uh, so I guess take what you want from that. I still think the NBA owes a bit of an explanation for a lot of those things as to why those aren't fouls all of a sudden or why those aren't being called what they've been called for the last 20 years. It's part of the maddening charm of the league, and I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know about charm. Maddening, okay. <laughs> It's, it's, it's what it is with the NBA and, and you take the good with the bad, but I mean, just, you know, beyond the officiating, I mean, we, we talked about Kevin Durant. Um, I don't remember who the first person I saw to say this, but I thought it was a hundred percent accurate. You know, he took a lot of heat last summer when he announced on the 4th of July that he was going to the Warriors and everybody basically said you're taking the easy way out to get a title and you need to go to you need to go to Golden State if you're finally going to win a championship. And what I'm going to take away from their team coming out of this, the biggest takeaway that I had was this series showed me it was less about him needing the Warriors to get a championship and it was more about the Warriors needing him. They needed him more than he needed them. Um, I, I, I'm convinced, and, and I will you know, take this to my grave, that if you run this back from last year 
and um, you had, I mean, the Cavs, I mean, if, if that series takes place without Durant, I think the Cavs wipe them out. Yeah, yeah, I probably agree, although I, I guess it, it's clearly a mutually beneficial relationship. It's not, I don't think it has sure. to be one or the other. Um, and that's why it works so well, I think. I think it's insane to think that um, we are, I don't know about you. And I think he kind of faded back because of all the golden state and Curry stuff over the last couple of years. I'm I've been firmly in the camp that Kevin Durant's the second best player in the league for the last five, six, seven years. Like it's been a while. Um, and I thought he's had a, a pretty firm hold on it. So people acting like this is a new development was sort of confusing to me. Like people kept saying, this is his coming out party. It's like, no, he's been really fucking good for the last several years. Like he has been, he, but he, he established himself as the alpha dog on this team. He, he did. He's the man yeah. there now. And I mean, they had a very strong nucleus before he arrived and any sort of notion that he was going to ride their coattails to a ring. Uh, that that's that's dead and buried. Uh, he was the difference in the series. Um, he was at the same time. There, there is a lot of validity to the fact that he joined a seventy-three win team that was already well established and was really just a better version of another guy they already had. Um, I don't know that. I don't know for sure that. I'm probably with you. I think if the, if it was the Warriors from last year with the Cavs from this year. Um, the Cavs probably would have won again. Um, so he definitely was the difference in the series. And you're right. He he wasn't he wasn't a role player. He was their main guy for sure. But I mean, how many times down the stretch in game five, when it seemed like the Cavs might finally be closing in on them, did he just come up with the most ridiculously difficult shot to break their backs? And it's yeah, he ro- he definitely rose to the occasion. And I'll admit, like, I re- I always really liked Durant, always did. Um, and admittedly, now I kind of have to hate him, right? I'm not allowed to <laughs> like him anymore, I don't think. Like, Steve Kerr, same thing. Um, like I legitimately don't like Curry and Clay and Draymond. I really like Steve Kerr, I really like Steve Durant. Kerr's awesome. Yeah, I don't like that I have to root against him. Um, so on that front there is some validity to it but i don't know honestly if you really if you really thought kevin durant didn't have what it took before to win a championship i think you're crazy um we obviously he was on a pretty good team last year and he's on a really good team this year um but i mean there's a lot of guys in the league that can do it and just don't yeah, I mean, it, it, there's so many circumstances that need to align and all that stuff. So I think, personally, I think people kind of hype the whole championship thing a bit much when you're We're talking living about in the rings culture, man. That's what. Yeah, the, and I think the they hype that a bit thing. much. That's I think that's for fans. And the only time it can, you can't be like, you can't be in the discussion for greatest of all time. The, the discussion that I think is now down to Jordan and LeBron, and that's pretty much it. Um, you can't be in that without a ring. But as, as far as rating everyone else against each other, I think the rings are kind of overrated. I guess. Um, I, 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 I'm teetering here. I'm not sure where to go next, just because... I do not want to go down the Jordan versus LeBron. Yeah, no, that, that's. I, I can't. I can't do I, I don't that again. Just, 
I don't want to, I'm, I'm just saying when you're looking and evaluating players and their legacies, there's the LeBron and Jordan discussion. And then there's kind of ranking everyone else because no one else is really in that discussion with LeBron and Jordan, I don't think. Yeah. So beyond that, when you're ranking those guys, I think the rings are just kind of, people will look at them too much, I think, when evaluating how good a guy really is. I, I never really had questioned that Durant was really good. I never yeah. had questioned that he could win if in the right situation. Now, obviously, he picked the situation of least resistance, but overall, he I don't think he was a guy that was just sitting there and could and could never get someone over the top, you know? Right. Um, and I think that was, for some people, the biggest source of frustration with him going there was they felt like he could have won it if he stayed in Oklahoma City. We'll never know now. Um, the thing I will say is this, you know, LeBron put up a triple-double for the series. He averaged a triple-double for the for the five games. And, you know, I think you could certainly make the case that he was the best player in this series. Uh, that said, I had no problem with Durant getting the finals MVP. I mean, if your team wins the series in five games and you put up the numbers that Durant did and hit all the clutch shots that he did. Oh, yeah. Uh, that That's, that's no totally question. fine to me. And um, I think if LeBron didn't win the MVP two years ago, um, you, no one's ever going to win it losing. Right. That was that was a very different situation. Was just because like when Golden State won that in 2015, I, there was nobody on that team that was particularly dominant. You know, there was no there, there was no one guy that really stood out. I mean, what did, did Iguodala win the MVP in that series? Yeah, for shutting down LeBron, who I think averaged like 31, 11, and eight. Right, like he had some insane numbers, and they acted like Iguodala was some LeBron stopper. All of a sudden, it was a joke. Um, but I think that put the uh, ended the discussion that you even have an opportunity to win the MVP if you don't win right. the series. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. Um, now Durant did uh, plenty to earn that this year. Oh yeah, Durant, LeBron were LeBron was obviously incredible, but so was Durant. There wasn't the gap there was minimal. I think between the two of them. Um, so yeah, I have no problem with Durant winning it. A couple other things about all this. I got to say the one thing that kind of irked me, I, how long did you stay up? Did you watch any of the post game? Did, did, um, like, when that game ended, no. like where, where were you? I shut it off with 30 seconds left in the game. Okay. Um, but I did go in bed and I, I, I read some stuff and checked out Twitter and all that jazz. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of, I didn't watch anything though. Well, I will say I I stayed at the bar that I was at watching the end of the game, and I stayed for about one segment of the post game, just kind of decompressing. And when I came home, I didn't watch any of it on TV, but uh, I, I I read a lot of stuff online, and you know I kind of made the comment when we started our last podcast. I said I don't really have any notes for this one. I I will say before I went to bed that night, I wrote about six hundred words just because I needed to get it all out in the moment. Um, I stayed up for probably two hours after that game was over because I was I just I couldn't I, I wasn't ready to like go to bed on that. It was um, one of those nights where I laid down and, and I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna go to bed. And then yeah. five minutes later, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm not sleeping. Like, Even when I finally got in bed, I I, I just I couldn't fall yeah. asleep. But it was just yeah. you know it was still hitting me. The thing that like irked me coming out of that, um, you know, we get attached to this team and. You know, you, you you get to the 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 finals. 
you get to the end of the, the road and they played their asses off. It wasn't enough, but I mean, they went down fighting and before the confetti was even hitting the floor at Oracle, I'm already seeing stuff online with half-assed trade proposals shipping guys out of town. And it's like, I know that being a fantasy GM for your team is like half the fun of sports, but it just, in the moment, it felt really wrong to me. Like, I, I just, I wonder sometimes if we appreciate what's happening in front of us when it's happening. It's like, I, I appreciate that you want to get back to this next year and you want to, you know, beat this team next year. Daryl and I and I know like the draft is coming up next Thursday and free agency starts like what nine days after that or whatever. But there's gonna be time for that stuff and to like, you know, see Kevin Love, who actually played a pretty damn good series, and it was the a lot better than he was he was a lot bigger uh piece than he was at the finals last year. And for his whole reputation about well, he's unplayable against the Warriors. I felt like that went out the window this year. He yeah, he did fine. Wasn't perfect, but I mean he was completely serviceable. And, you know, it just I don't know why so many people just seem like they're hell bent on, well, you gotta trade Kevin Love. What? For what? For who? It's like well, we'll figure that out next, but like well, Cavs aren't good enough. Got to trade Kevin Love. It just it's, that annoys me to begin with. But like, especially in that moment, like they're not even back to the locker room and we're already shipping their ass out of town. I don't know. It just it bugged me. Yeah, I get that. Um, I, I. But if we're being honest, if it, as far as what the Cavs need to do, the Cavs are so handcuffed with salaries that. They can't go out and sign anyone significant. They don't have any draft picks to trade. They, their options really are trade guys they have. The only way that they're going to drastically, you know, if, if they're looking to add a big name, like a Paul George is the name that everyone is on right now. Um, yeah, it probably is going to have to be love. And I don't know if that's fair to him or not. Um But really, that's all we have. That's our only choice. He's the only salary that we have to deal um, because no yeah, one's taking trust. I get that, and, and people are going to have those discussions. But it's like, I yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know. I think, truthfully, it was one of those things that people are like, "Hey, if this series doesn't," they probably wrote the the article a week and a half ago before the series even starts, and hey, if this series goes sideways for Cleveland, here's what I'm running with. And oh, when it went sideways for Cleveland, it's just no like, okay, perfect. That. Yeah, I mean, I I will tell you that. uh I think it was either the last pod or the one before that. I said I was going to try to go stake out the queue to meet Zach Lowe from ESPN. And as it turned out last Friday, I met him at uh, Hofbrau House. They had uh, the jump, the ESPN show. And uh, he was on for a couple of segments. And I saw him while the show was taping. Uh, he was just kind of hanging out in the hall by himself. And it was really cool. He was a super nice guy. Um, did not file a restraining order against me. So that was nice. Yet. And, <laughs> yet. But uh yeah, he chatted me up and and we had th- at that point, I mean the series was already three oh. He told me he already and he already told me like what his finals wrap up column was going to be before game four had even started. I mean he had the story basically written already. So um when when you talk about uh, guys are like, ah, if it goes this way, this is what I'm writing. That's absolutely a hundred percent true. So um 
I get that. Uh, as for the whole Paul George thing, um, the thing that annoys me, I, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not listening to sports talk radio for the next three months. I, I just, I can't bring myself to do it because, um, you know, you just, you hear people, well, got to trade Kevin Love for Paul George. Explain to me why you believe, if, if, if that's what you think, why do you think that Indiana is just sitting by the phone waiting to just accept that trade proposal the instant somebody from the Cavs uh, calls them up and and, and makes the offer. I mean, Paul George, this is not like you're going to the hardware store where you could just, like, pick up a hammer off the rack and say, I want this. Yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. Paul George is the best asset that the Pacers have right now and will have for the next decade. And he's the center of their franchise. And I understand he's got one year left after this. And you hear all this stuff about him wanting to go to Los Angeles or whatever. So maybe the Pacers want to cut their losses and yada, yada. But um, I, it's, it's That's not. That's the thing, though. That's the thing, though. The Pacers on their side, the only way they trade him, and this would be one of those discussions that they have. And Paul George would have to tell them this. And it would be kind of, I mean, one of those sort of mutually agreed upon things where it says, hey, I'm not re-upping here. If you want to get something for me, you'd be wise to trade me. And that if that's what happens, great. But in that case, I think there's probably not that many teams that are going to give up much more than a Kevin Love type. But that said, the only way you're trading for him is if he's willing to sign an extension anyways. Right? right. If you're the Cavs, you're not trading for a one year. No. And and again, you know, the other thing with this, but we're getting like again, way ahead of ourselves. And and I, I hate getting into all that stuff now. I mean, I guess it's inevitable with the, the series over and we're a couple days removed. I do not want to rehash all that misery. Probably not. No, that's 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 fair. But um let's not put the cart before the horse here. Um, you know, first off, Cavs gotta take care of David Griffin. Because uh, yeah. this is, you know, a really important offseason. Uh, you've got LeBron for one more year for sure. Who knows what happens after that? You know, there's already the whispers the that he wants to, out. that he wants to, you know, yeah, he wants to go set up shop in Los Angeles, and that's entirely possible. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, I I wouldn't do that, but that's just me. Um, but, I mean, you need stability in the front office here and David Griffin for all the LeBron is the GM LOL jokes that we have to endure. I mean, David Griffin is great at his job as we've talked about on here numerous times and you need somebody to nail this off season and make the most of what little you have in the way of assets to, in order to try to improve the roster. And there's absolutely nobody I would trust to do that more than Griff. Um, you know, I think there was a, the one thing, you know, that was a little bit encouraging to read before I went to bed on Monday night. I think it was Joe Varden of cleveland.com and uh, the plain dealer who had said that uh, he talked to Dan Gilbert after the the game was over and it sounded like Gilbert was pretty happy with the direction of things. I mean, how could you not be? And was pretty pleased with, with how Griff has run the franchise and uh, you know, 
I want to believe that that's a good sign for them getting something done. And I did hear this week they are going to meet and sit down. I'm not sure if that when that's going to happen, but it doesn't sound like um, it sounds like it's up in the air. Um, And yeah, like you said, I think Gilbert has a legit appreciation for what um, Griffin's done for the team so far, as opposed to I think there's some folks who are sort of under the impression that, oh, he got LeBron. That's it. Um, which is selling David Griffin incredibly short. Yeah. I mean, you think about just where this team has come from and to where they are now over the past three years. Their opening night lineup when LeBron returned in October of 2014, the opening night, they started with Kyrie, Deion Waiters, LeBron, um, Kevin Love and Anderson Verajao. No, Tristan would have had to start. Or did you say Tristan, Tristan wasn't even starting yet? I think Verajao was starting still. This was when LeBron came back. Yes. Well, no, because Tristan had that that streak that went forever. He played. That was just games played. That was not starts. Oh. He was a, a six man for a long time. All right. All right. Continue. Sorry. And. I mean, you just look at all the guys that they've acquired since then, some of whom have come and gone, uh, like um, Mozgov. I mean, he played a big role two years ago for the Cavs. And you, know, you think about guys like Delhi and, and just how they turned the season around that that first year when they got uh, J.R. Smith and Shepard and then, you know, Corver and Richard Jefferson. And I mean, just on and on and on. They've they've added pieces constantly when it's how like long ago does Anderson Verajal feel like? Right. Yeah. Uh, no, no question. I mean, just, it's that just popped in my head because you said the name, but it feels like forever ago. Yeah. Anyways, so. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're saying. Um. I agree completely. I will. Um, I'm. I'm encouraged, and I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to get something done. But I'm not going to exhale until that actually until it comes down gets sure. announced. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I mean, I think step two is kind of what you were talking about. I mean, I think you have to look at your core. I think it's your your starting five, and whether any of those guys are movable or not. Personally, um, I'm not moving any of those starting five. I, I'm just, I'm not. I I understand Paul George is a superstar and, you know, that's great. And I'm not knocking him. But, and, and I also understand the Warriors play fast and they play small. But I'm not going to feel good about having Tristan Thompson as the only serviceable big man on the entire roster and if you ship kevin love out of here for, for whatever reason if the uh the, the pacers would agree to some sort of deal whether it's a one-to-one trade with the Cavs or you get a third team involved um you know you're leaving yourself perilously thin up front especially when we saw tristan really start to break down down the stretch of the regular season, I don't think the answer there is to somehow put more of a workload on him. Um, but no, yeah, was... I, I don't want uh, the thought of getting Paul George makes me really excited. That said, I think 
I don't think if you lose Kevin Love and add Paul George, I don't think it closes the gap as much as a lot of people think it will. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the other part of this. I mean, so. I know it was it was a loss, obviously. It was game one, but Kevin Love had like a 20-20 game. Mm-hmm. Serious. Like he, yeah. he, he was good. Like he, he was he was really <laughs> good for the first few games. Here, and I'll say it again. I just I think guys get labels and they get perceptions. And with the vast majority of fans, it's just impossible to shake those things once you get stuck with them. Especially when you've got fans who don't necessarily pay attention to the uh, the, the team in every single game throughout a season. Um, you know, the more casual the fan, it's uh, well, like Iman Shumpert's a great defensive player. That's that was the label that he was given before he came here, and that's what he was known for. And for a whole lot of the regular season, he was a shitty defensive player, living on his reputation. And if you were not really closely paying attention, you know, you still thought, hey, Shump's a great defender. And, you know, he had moments in the finals where he ended up being useful and, and, and he was helpful. But he also had, especially in the first three games of the series, some plays that just made me want to slam my head into a wall. Um, and, you know, get back to Kevin Love. Well, he's not playable against the Warriors. He's just big, slow and white. So... He he can't play against Golden State, and you know Golden State has changed the look of their team just enough that there there's a place out there for Kevin Love. So, <clears throat> and I mean he had he had three pretty damn good games. Who knows what happens in Game Five if he doesn't get that second garbage foul that should have been on Zaza back to the refs. Um, <laughs> but who, I mean who knows what happens? But the he had a bad I think Game Three. He was underwhelming but the other three games is pretty damn solid um nothing to complain about and yeah he considerably better than last year and i agree last year it was just a bad matchup for him um but by and large that's a kind of guy you don't just you don't just ship off um you find a way to to make him usable against golden state you don't just say he's not usable so and i I just i understand you know, you know, we become prisoners of the moment and you see, well, the Cavs lost the finals in five games. Again, you know, they're still head and shoulders better than anybody else they're going to see. You know, every other team, I mean, the only other team that you can make a case for being in the mix here is San Antonio. And they're in the other conference, so you would never see them in a playoff series anyway unless they got rid of Golden State. So... Anybody that's in the Cavs' path here, there's there's one team, and you know I I just it just frustrates me. I'm not in a big hurry to suddenly make cataclysmic changes to the nucleus of that team. They've they've had a hell of a run here over three years, and it's not inconceivable that I I mean personally I feel like if the Cavs can make some really smart moves get continued development from Kyrie and, you know, Tristan, I think has got some room still to grow as good as he was um, for the most part this season. And, and what he's been over the past couple of years. I mean, I still think there are certain ways that he can add to his game. Uh, I, I, they're there. I mean, the, the, the gap is not necessarily 
what some people might think it is between the Cavs and the Warriors. Yeah, and obviously games one and two were were ugly. But games three through five, did you really walk away saying, yeah, Golden State's so much better than the Cavs? No, not at all. And no. and honestly, I think the thing that hurt the Cavs the most was there was nobody to get them into that gear before the final started. San Antonio kind of threw a glass of cold water in, in Golden State's face in game one of the West Finals. And I know uh, with the injuries, they kind of fell apart. And Golden State ended up sweeping that series pretty handily. But uh, that was a really strong franchise, very well coached with some elite talent players that made Golden State, you know, it got them in the in the high gear. And I know the Cavs kicked away a game against Boston, but, I mean, come on. They, they, they won every one of those games at Boston by at least, what, 20 points? I mean, the one of them, I think they won by about 40. And... That just there's another gear when you play the Warriors that if you're not moving at that speed, just the pace that they play with and the pressure that they put on you. Once the Cavs, I felt like, got acclimated to a completely different level of basketball, they had it in them. They just they had to get there, and they just they were in a hole to start. So, yeah, yeah, I I'm with you. I think they need the way that and. The way that the series started, I think Kyrie's just it took him a little longer than it needed to to get going or than it could have. Um, and I think that really put him behind the eight ball. Um, I'll say this is as frustrating as he can be for disappearing in large stretches. I love J.R. Smith the way yeah. <laughs> just he, he seems like he never shies away from a big moment ever no matter how bad he's been playing, um, watching him just hitting shot after shot in game five, um, a great moment, I thought. I mean, obviously, they lost and everything, but for everything he's been through this year, obviously off the court as well, um, that's a guy that I think probably probably first game of the series, people are like, all right, we're going to have to cut bait with J.R. Smith. We can't keep riding him. Um and he showed up at times that nobody else was really showing up other than LeBron, obviously. Who I think he was a great case study in just what the spotlight of playing in the finals can do to guys. Um, because I don't think he was particularly Darren Williams. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where I'm going with this because, like, I think in 2015, I, I mean, I'll go back and look at the numbers. I don't remember JR being particularly great in that series. And I know he struggled in the first couple games of this series as well. But, you know, game five there, when Kevin Love got into foul trouble and the Cavs needed a third scorer, I mean, he ended up with, I think, 25 points. And, you know, having been through the ringer, I mean, don't forget game seven last year, the Cavs were down eight early in the second half and were teetering on the verge of letting the game get away. And he went on like a one-man run to get him right back in the game. And that was enormous. And I just, having been through those battles, I think in a finals is, it's just enormous for a player, you know, and you see the difference, like, you know, I don't know if Kyle Korver will be back next year, but I would not be surprised at all if he did come back and was in the same situation and got some of the shots that he missed this year, if he starts knocking those down. I mean, it's, 
we we've seen it, especially with with role players. You know, it's it's a it's just a different world. You know, um, when you're playing in for those kind of stakes. So we'll see what happens with those guys. But um, you know, you briefly you mentioned Kyrie. The one other thing that I wanted to say about him, um. I think it was kind of tough for him on Monday. He banged his knee on the floor, and then it looked like trying to preserve that a little bit. It kind of let his back be sore. You saw them working on his back, and and it could just tell by the end of that game. I mean, those finishes at the rim, he couldn't get the ball up there. I mean, he was leaving everything short on the front iron, and uh, I I just I feel like in the bigger picture, this summer is going to be really good for him. Just because, I mean, if you think about it, he he went down in the 2015 finals with the big knee injury, was out until December of that year, came back, and from that point on, he has played straight through from December of 2015 all the way to the 2016 finals, went immediately into the Olympics, led the Olympic team to a gold medal, came right back to playing for the Cavs, full season with the Cavs, and all the way through to the finals again, that's a lot of basketball for anyone with no rest, let alone somebody who has a history of injuries early in his pro career and is coming off a very serious one. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think he's one of those guys. He's, and you're right, we saw how um, by game five, obviously, it was not what we were used to, but it was a recurring theme all playoff how good he is um particularly at finishing at the basket and i don't i think he's kind of distanced himself from everyone else in that conversation quite frankly he's um, the best below the rim player in the league yeah and it I might it, i don't i don't know that it's particularly close um there there may be arguments to be made for other guys but maybe uh, i have i haven't before, seen before... anyone before in a game you, against him. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I I might have to go back and, and think about that twice. He's the best finisher at the rim from below the rim. I I, I should say that because... That, yeah, that's that's what get, I mean. Getting, uh, that, that's what I mean there. Like getting to the rim and, and not somebody that's going to just come in and overpower you with a dunk and put you on a poster. Guys that actually have to get creative and find angles. Can play and every angle. That, always yeah. needs to have the right touch on it, all that stuff. Doing uh, that, he's the best in the league. Yeah, and I'll say, and, and perhaps we're spoiled because we see him do it all the time, but every Cavs game I've watched, I haven't seen anyone that's even in his league at that, quite honestly. Um, the way he's able to adjust his body and, you know, defenders are pushing him off his line and he's 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 got to get, like you said, he's got to get really creative. He's got to have the perfect touch. He's got to play these really sort of awkward, really difficult angles, and he's so good at it. Um, and yeah, by game five, he was, you could tell he was a little sore. Those, those finishes weren't going in like he's used to. So it wasn't the guy that we were used to at that point. So that explains it a lot. And yeah, I think you're right. The rest will be good for him. I think he can just, you know, just rest all summer for the most part. I don't know how, what he's got lined up, but, um, yeah, I think that the the rest will do him good. Yeah. Um. All right. Anything else there? Are we ready to put a bow on this? Yeah, I'll say. Um, so they lost, obviously, the series. 
and it's disappointing and all that. But I will say I'm I've done a, a pretty close to a 180 since our last one in terms of how I'll view this team. Um, so I'm happy for that. I'll say that. Good. I I, I think I will. Uh, I'll co-sign on that. All right. Um, getting a, a nice win on Friday night in a game in a very memorable game was awesome and it was a good note uh to send the home folks uh out on you know your last home game that was great and went down fighting with everything they had on on monday in game five and it uh it was a lot better tone than where things were after three games so no question yeah all right um well time for us to turn the page uh i'm gonna be honest i i we're gonna talk indians um i'm not really a hundred percent ready for that so i don't know how quickly we're gonna get into our next pod or what it will look like but i will also say this um i just i can't talk baseball every single week i love the indians i i wish the best for them but baseball season is so damn long. You'll drive yourself crazy if you analyze every week of baseball. Yeah, it's you got to look at it in the bigger picture. So we're gonna have some time to fill over the They'll next few months. Stretched out a little bit, yeah. And I am sure we're gonna have topic, plenty of. I'm sure. I'm sure we're gonna have plenty of Cavs news. But uh, let's. Uh, what do you say we try to find some fun and different stuff to throw in here along the way? Let's uh, let's open it up. Um, and if you're listening out there, uh. If you got an idea for something you want to hear us bullshit about on here for 45 we'll minutes. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll absolutely do it. But, uh, I yeah. love to bullshit. Who knows? Maybe we'll even bring you on to talk about it. I I don't know. I'll I'll open it up. Let's uh yeah, let, let's, let's have it. some fun. Sounds good, so, man. All right. Good deal. Well, uh you know the drill. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or Google Play Music or Stitcher or really any other podcast listening app that you might have on your phone. Tell all your friends to do the same. Help us uh, build that subscriber number up. Go catch up on past episodes of our show. I probably don't want to go back and listen to the one from last week unless you feel like being really miserable, but uh, we have a lot of other fun ones uh, in the archives on our website, thenailpodcast.com. And go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. I posted uh, today, uh, John Telich from Fox 8 had a really nice appreciation for LeBron, and I thought that was worth sharing, so you can catch a link to that on our Facebook page. Trev, anything else before we get out of here? No, no, I think that about covers it, but uh, I'll harp again. If you want us to talk about something, let us know, because we're probably willing, and it would probably be entertaining, so let us know. Sounds good. There you have it. All right, for Travis Hewley. Tom Valentino, it's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.